Hey everybody, my name is Drew Baker. Welcome to the Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, chefs, farmers, and other interesting guests at my kitchen table. We tell stories and talk about our lives and interests. Nothing added, nothing taken out. On today's episode, I interview Joe Krofcheck, co-founder and fungi feel at Field and Forest Products in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. Field and Forest was founded on a commitment to raising ecological awareness about our woodlands and promoting timber stand improvement practices to generate the beginnings of a mushroom farm. More than 36 years later, they have the same goal and continue to look at new possibilities in the world of mushroom cultivation that are compatible with overall sustainability in the environment around us. All right, table set. Joe's in the house. Welcome to the show, my friend. Well, it's a pleasure for uh, being well, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So what's uh, what's new in Peshtigo, Wisconsin? <laughs> what's new in Peshtigo? Oh, Peshtigo. Oh, wow. That's all right. Yeah, Peshtigo. My favorite one was Push to Go. <laughs> Close enough. That was, and I said, well, it's right next to Pull to Stop. But I didn't get the joke. Uh, so anyways, there's not much new in Peshtigo. You know, we're uh, we're hanging out there, laying low pandemic's going on so uh we're uh taking our time to work because at least we feel somewhat safe there uh you know looking out the window it's dark but i know one thing there's no snow on the ground and that's kind of new because typically at this time of the year we would have snow on the ground so uh other than that leaves have fallen off the tree snow hasn't fallen mushrooms are done growing so we could say not much. It's a good it's a good time to cut logs for mushrooms though, isn't it? Well, yeah, definitely. You know, and the thing is is that uh you know, I've gotten to the age where uh we buy in logs now and but this is a good time. If you're out and about and you have the time in the woodlot, it's a great time to get together with a forester if you don't know much about your woodlot, get out there and take a walk, take a walk and see what you can uh, gleam from your forest uh that will a serve as good mushroom wood and B, leave your forest in a better state of health for future timber crops. For sure. Well, this is exciting and I really can't wait to sort of delve into all the details with you. Um, but first, I want to set the stage for our listeners before I, I start berating you with mushroom questions. Um, as anyone who's been listening to this podcast knows, we talk a lot about sustainability in farming, but not often in the human context. Um, so, Tending a uh, commercial vineyard, in our case at least, is a lot of work, uh, preaching to the choir, I know. Uh, so keeping things fresh and interesting is a great way to build morale for our team and intellectual stimulation for ourselves, uh, in addition to the known benefits of biodiversity. So this is why we love to try new things, raise animals, grow different crops like mushrooms. Uh, it's good for the environment and fulfilling for ourselves. Um, so with all that said, Joe, I'm really excited to be talking with you about mushroom cultivation uh, because you've probably forgotten more uh, than I'll ever know. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're, um, you know, but, but what I would like to do um, before we sort of nerd out is um, if, if you'd be willing uh, to kind of give us a little bit about your story, the backstory, you can kind of share as much or a little as you'd like. Oh boy! Well, you know, I tell you what, uh, 
I should really give you the Reader's Digest version because otherwise we'd be here all night just talking about. Uh, <laughs> I have a glass of whiskey here, so <laughs> take your time. Whiskey, I got some sparkling water, so that doesn't <laughs> kind of. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, the, our backstory is really kind of interesting. It's uh, it's one that's taken place over probably 39 years. You know, we've been in business for 37 or 36 now, I forget, but. Uh, Actually, it probably even goes back further than that, Drew. Uh, you know, uh, I grew up in Milwaukee, uh, and I large family, large Polish family. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we used to do is go mushroom hunting. You know, in the fall of the year, my grandfather and my father would yank me out of school because, you know, I was closer to the ground. We could see those mushrooms better. And we would go into central Wisconsin and pick wild mushrooms. You know, I really didn't like doing that. But what I did like was the fact that I was being pulled out of school so that I, I could go do something out in the woods. And I guess that was the start of it. Uh, it really got my interest going in mushrooms. But that kind of fell by the wayside. And then I went to college, of all things. And uh, I fell in love with uh, mycology. Uh, it's also where I fell in love with my wife in a plant pathology class. And, you know, things just took off from there. Uh, we, we decided that after working, I worked for W Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources as a field botanist uh, during the acid rain heydays in the 80s. And Mary Ellen was working for uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison uh, Soils Department, doing some pretty heavy-duty research on herbicides. And we decided, uh, is this what we really want? So uh, coming from a family that uh, was raised on small business, my dad was a small businessman, we decided, hey, let's go for it. And it just so happened that this whole thing on mushrooms came across my desk at DNR on uh, growing mushrooms on logs. It was written by Gary Latham of the Forest Products Lab. And we thought, wow, this would really be great. It, it, would, it would be a business that we could do because we we're both interested in mushrooms, right? And it would just fit so well with our lifestyle. Well, boy, I tell you what, looking back at that, that decision, I don't know what we based that on, but uh, hindsight's always golden. We hopped into it not knowing what we were doing, <laughs> like so many other people that start businesses. Uh, but we did have some mycology in our background. We had a great mentor, uh, Dr. VMG Nair at UW-Green Bay. We had some people at the Forest Products Lab that helped us out. So uh, we just dived into this, and here we are, uh, thirty some years later, still doing it. Um, you know, uh, we look forward to going to work every day, and the fact that at this age, it means it brings us hopefully a day closer to retirement. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, so so you don't have uh, one of those funny sayings about uh, when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. Oh no, it's hogwash, no. isn't it? <laughs> No, I don't have a funny saying like that. Uh, I wish I did. Don't get me wrong. We really enjoy what we're doing. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a challenge. Small business is a challenge. And uh, every day you got to be on your game, particularly when dealing with something like fungi. You know, fungi are, are they're demanding creatures. You may not think it, but boy, I tell you what, you have to pay attention here. The details to keep things rolling. So, yeah, that's our story. You know, fell in love, got married. Uh, moved to Peshtigo from Madison, which was really in itself a lifestyle change. We went from uh, 49 square miles surrounded by reality, Madison, to uh, Peshtigo, which is uh, 
it's different. It's rural, small town, Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, hey, after 30 some years, uh, we're still outsiders. <laughs> but we love it. We got great access, great woodlots, great north woods. Uh, can't really think of a better place that we'd rather be right now. That's amazing. So I have lots of mushroom questions, but uh, first I'll kind of share with you a little bit of, uh, you know, the backstory and what, what, what sort of led me to my interest in uh, interviewing you on the podcast. Um, so my farm manager, uh, CJ Para, and I started growing several strains of shiitake and oyster mushrooms on about 300 logs and two dozen totems at our uh, Burnt Hill Farm uh, from Sawdust Spawn that we sourced from you. And um, it's been such a cool experience, just you know, scouting the woods for the ideal environment to grow mushrooms. We picked this nice little hollow in the woods between two hills by a stream. It's kind of a great spot. We're on- um, the, nice. Yeah, we're at the, on the bottom of a northern sloping hill. Um, nice air comes through though. It's not, it's not wet, um, but it's definitely, there's more moisture in the air in this spot. And we just kind of felt like it was a I, I kind of asked myself if I were a mushroom, where would I want to grow? And that's kind of how we how we landed on this spot. Um, you know, and then we got into uh, selecting and cutting the perfect logs. And we've got a great mix of white oak and sugar maple and poplar and beech on the farm. And, uh, you know, just looking for those nice, you know, 40, 40 inch pieces and uh, harvest them, you know, right at the peak of color change waited a couple of weeks. It's kind of like this whole ritual. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's no magic in it uh, other than what we wrote into the process. And, uh, but we loved it. We, um, CJ built this like really cool uh, bench with wheels on top for us to, you know, really efficiently drill holes and inoculate the logs um, with the sawdust and wax. And, and then, you know, you get to kind of like stack all of these logs in whatever formation you want across this forest floor. So you get this like really cool mix of like, you know, these like geometric uh, patterns that you're creating in this otherwise, you know, really feral environment. It's, it, it's kind of like mysterious and cool. And, you know, we, we really loved it. Uh, and now we just kind of sit back and wait and, and hope it works. You know, <laughs> just the other day, like CJ and I were like, we finally got to this point, you know, we finished 300 logs, which I don't know to you might be nothing, but to us was, was quite a lot of work. And when we finished it up, it's like, all right, I think we wait six months. <laughs> and, well, you know, uh, patience is all part of the game, right? And I always say if, if you have a type A personality, stick to growing radishes, all right? Because you have to be committed here for growing shiitake because it takes time. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning that already. And I'll tell you, I am a type A person, but I also have a fair amount of practice as a grape grower, uh, which is my primary occupation. And, you know, these vines similarly, um, you know, you, you plant them in the ground and it's not until third, maybe fourth leaf before you take your first uh, uh, crop. So, you know, and then maybe another year and a half or two or three before you have, you know, a really great bottle of wine you're proud of that you can kind of share with your friends. So it's uh, really a patient guy, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So our, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's tough to make a business of it sometimes, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm really enjoying it. Um, my, my, I guess my next question for you, uh, is, you know, what, what are your favorite kinds of mushrooms to grow? And, um, you know, why, why do you, you know, and why do you like to grow them? Well, you know, 
It's a very easy question to, question to answer. It's shiitake. I just love growing shiitake. Shiitake and natural logs, there's something to the process. You know, there's the labor involved. There's the interaction with uh, people, foresters, and uh, people who want people who are working in woodlot. You know, you get out there with a chainsaw, and, you, you know, you really, you really have to make some major decisions and decisions that are going to affect the future of your forest. And typically, if it's done right, you're, you're doing nothing but improving it for our future generations. So it's shiitake. You know, and, and you had alluded to this in your, in your opening remarks on this question is about the geometry and the, and the stacking configura configurations. I think right now we, we are scaled down to about 3,000 logs. And, you know, you go into that laying yard and those logs are stacked in a specific way. And it brings a real peace to you just by looking at it. It's a real different experience from just walking into a normal woodlot. You know, you have something here that's man-made, but yet it seems to be in real harmony with the forest. So shiitake's got it hands down. I just love shiitake. I love watching it fruit. I, I love the waiting game. I like seeing new strains come out and develop them. I like to look at the beauty of the mushroom. You know, and one thing that hasn't changed over all these years is the simple joy of going out in the spring of the year when that first cold weather mushroom strain is starting to fruit and going out there and picking an absolutely gorgeous mushroom that you know is going to taste really good. It's going to have a nice robust flavor and that. The markings on the cap are extremely beautiful. You know, I'm not tired of that. I just love doing that. And I hope to do that after I retire because, boy, it's just a, a real joy to do that. So, yeah, hands down, shiitake. You know, I we've grown a lot of different mushrooms on a lot of different substrates. Uh, but shiitake on natural log is still my favorite. That's amazing. And I can't wait to, uh, to, to chime in with my first harvest story, <laughs> still, uh, but, but I, but I have faith it will happen. <laughs> um, so, so you talked about, um, you know, sort of the joy of harvesting, you know, that shiitake in the spring and, 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 and admiring the cap and just knowing that it's going to taste great and have amazing flavor. Um, what type of, uh, are, so what would you, what, what's your favorite dish? What's your favorite way to enjoy, you know, that spring shiitake? Well, yeah, that's a real hard question to answer. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the best ways that I always find uh, to really enjoy a shiitake, particularly one that's, that's coming out in the spring of the year, uh, that's typically really going to have robust flavor and it's going to have nice dense flesh, is really to make a very simple breakfast of scrambled eggs with shiitake and then maybe a little uh, jack cheese melted in. You know, you wrap that up in a warm flour burrito uh, and it's out of this world. It's really a very basic recipe. It's sauteed mushrooms with eggs and cheese in a burrito and the shiitake's got that robust flavor. It's got that great texture and it's just a real uh, joy to eat. Now, what comes in a real close second, but that's typically a little bit later in the season when we start getting mushrooms that develop maybe sometimes a little bit too quickly and they get kind of thin. Koya grilled shiitake, with, uh, grilled with uh, olive oil and sea salt. So the edges are nice and brown and crispy, eaten right off the grill hot. You know, you can't beat that. That's seventh heaven. You know, all of our people that are vegetarians here, 
that's it. That's their meat. That's their steak course right there. And to me, it's just plain good. Wow. Yeah. Sounds good. I'm, uh, I'm salivating. <laughs> um, so um, our, our listeners are aware of this because I've talked about it in past episodes. Um, but we uh, launched a, a wood-fired pizza concept at the winery uh, called Eat Pizza Together uh, this year. And uh, it's, it's been a really front, fun project. All of our ingredients are sourced, uh, in our case, from the Mid-Atlantic's finest farms. Oven is fueled by local hardwood. Um, you know, we're really on a mission to support farmers, provide good jobs, nourish our community. And uh, for us, Pizza has proved just to be an incredible medium for sharing local ingredients uh, from the meat to the cheese to the veggies to the sauce right down to the dough. Um, it's just such an approachable, delicious, affordable way to enjoy, uh, you know, a, 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 a meal uh, that can, in our case, be 100 percent. Uh, you know, from a single site origin, which is just really cool. Um, so for us, you know, I've really become obsessed with pizza for this reason, which, you know, runs the gamut. Everybody loves it, but, you know, there's good pizza and there's bad pizza. Um, but, um, you know, good pizza is, um, you know, just a really great way to show off agricultural products and, um, you know, that that are grown and support this renewable local food system that we preach and we're talking about. And so it's really from that, uh, that growing mushrooms, that that's sort of the end game for these mushrooms is an incorporation into this pizza program. <laughs> and that's a, that's a great way to, to finish the story, man. You bet. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, I'm, you know, from the, so this mushroom farm, when, when we were reverse engineering, how many logs to do? Um, I don't know if, 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 uh, I think CJ, uh, admit may have, sp you, you probably talked to a lot of people. You said you talked to people from Maryland today. It might've been CJ. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we were kind of reverse engineering exactly how many logs. So we came up with this 300 number to get started. And, you know, our goal is to make enough pizzas that we'll be able to, you know, when people visit our farm, that we'll be able to offer them, um, you know, mushroom, mushroom pizza. Um, where all the grain is grown on the farm, we can mill our own flour, and then you know we wow. can pop these pizzas with you know local cheese and mushrooms from the woods. So that's kind of like what we're looking into. And and uh, you know, me up, I'll be over. Just right. Like your first crop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a, a par-baked pizza, maybe. <laughs> oh, man, but uh, you know the the breakfast the the you know the the uh, the breakfast tortilla you mentioned. Wow, that just uh, makes me want to go make one. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know what? What we've always found is that with stuff like shiitake, and, and granted, with any any mushroom, you really got to keep it simple. You know, you don't want to get into heavy sauces and Bombay and things. It's just like saute and eat it. And that's really the best way to, with a lot of these things, not with pizza. Pizza is a great way to use shiitake. Yeah, especially with like a like a fatina, a nice little like salty, like a simple salty cheese and yes. and and mushrooms. That's it. Yeah. On a white pizza, no sauce. It's just amazing. Uh, yeah, that would be ideal. Um, so I'm 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 curious, um, what is the thing? So we also have some listeners that tune into the show um, that aren't wine geeks and uh, that are just more generally looking for, um, you know, ways to exercise their own creative muscles, maybe, maybe uh, generate some ideas of things that they want to do in the future. So what's something um, that you wish you would have known when you got started uh, with, with Field and Forest? You can kind of take that whichever way you'd like. 
Yep. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm, there's so many things here, but I'm just trying to think of one that uh, just stands out. Uh, Yeah. I'm just kind of, well, I was just going to kind of clarify that, you know, you, uh, in your introduction, you kind of talked about, um, being a product of, uh, of a small business family. I am too. My dad's a carpenter. So I'm really familiar with that. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the, the pros and the cons, right. Um, (laughs) And uh, also, you know, there's there's also the specifics of of mushroom farming. Obviously, you have you know the background in in agriculture and ecology, but you know, but then there's you know the specifics of 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 creating all of these you know really awesome products that you guys sell and that I'm a consumer of. You know, like what are um, you know what are some things that 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 ultimately worked out or didn't work out that you really wish you could kind of go back in time and tell yourself to, you know, focus on or steer away from? Oh boy. You know, I, I wish I would have known where the crystal ball was that I could have looked into the future to answer answer those problems that were going to come up. Uh, You know, it's always difficult to think of what I would have done differently because, you know, you have a path and you follow it and you think you do what's right. You think you you always make decisions based upon the best available information, and sometimes you just have to make decisions based on your gut feelings. You know, and that's the way we've operated over all these years up until recently, besides before we decided that numbers will actually work for us. But uh, decisions, bad decisions, well, you know, I, if you would have talked to me a decade ago, maybe. I would have said locating in Peshtigo. You know, we're remote. We're zone four. We're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it would have been better for us to locate uh, perhaps in uh, southern Wisconsin where there's more of an oak resource and there's, uh, uh, you know, greater population centers to market to. But, you know, we made, we made a decision based upon how we wanted to live our lives. And we were living our lives the way that we chose to on Mary Ellen's family farm. It's where we started our business and, you know, we stuck to it. Uh, so would I have changed, you know, would I, if I were to do it over again, would I do that? You know, probably not, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that you, we made the decision to stay here and, and we enjoy it. And we think that we've become very, a very good, uh, a, let's say a very, big part of this community now in terms of employment and in terms of developing uh, some of the recreational aspects that are available to the general public here. Uh, Boy, other than that, um, I was thinking that uh, it would have really been nice to know a lot more about mushroom cultivation (laughs) before we got started. You know, we hopped into this and it was brand new. You know, nice. You, you were kind of like talking about discovering this sort of like newfangled idea of growing, uh, you know, mushrooms on logs, right? Yeah, that was in 1983, and that that paper was what started the industry in the United States. And we we got to meet Dr. Latham at FPL, and you know, he helped us along. But you know, back then, all the information that was available to us on growing these mushrooms on logs outdoors was coming out of Japan. Okay, you say, well, great, you can use the information that you get out of Japan to grow it here. Well, you want to know something you can't because their climate where they grow shiitake is so different from what we have here. 
you know, the main shiitake growing region in Japan receives about 100 inches of rainfall. What do we get here in northern Wisconsin? You know, 30 inches. Most of that's snow, uh, snow in the wintertime, so we're dry. So if you take what you found in the literature and try to do a one-to-one -one conversion, it just doesn't work. So, you know, it took us years to, to really groom our growing techniques and get them down to the point where we would feel comfortable in talking to people about uh, how to grow this mushroom. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people really take for granted nowadays is that, you know, there's a wealth of information out there that's available to growers right now. But that information had to start somewhere, and it started at day one when Gary Latham said, hey, here's a new product that can be grown on small diameter hardwood logs. And that's all been part of the learning curve. You know, we're, we're very fortunate that we can, we have that background and that experience and that we can share it with people. But yeah, I tell you what, it would have really been nice to have that ahead of time. <laughs> For sure. I can only imagine. <laughs> but, you know, like, what a cool adventure to kind of be on the bleeding edge of a new movement, right? Yeah, you know, it has been, and it's it's been very interesting. You know, the thing is, is that this is a movement that's had its ups and downs. Uh, you know, if we can really trace them back there. You know, at the beginning, it was a new thing. And, you know, people thought that they were going to become millionaires growing this mushroom on logs. Well, yeah, you know, some people started off really well and then uh, sawdust-based production got into the picture and that drove prices down. So there was a low in the log-based industry. And then there was a tobacco settlement. Remember that? Where there was all that money that became available to the states? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Maryland got a lot of it. Yeah. Well, a lot of states use that money for developing alternative crops. And one of them was Chicago. So we saw a big uh, bump in a number of growers, particularly in the southeast, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, into the Carolinas. There was a lot of interest in shiitake. And at that time, the industry really boomed. Well, that money ran out. And uh, so extension wasn't doing much in the way of promotion. And so it kind of went by, by and by. And then we had this thing in late 90s, early 2000s, organic food safety certified organic, locally grown. It's been building since then. We're on another wave of uh, growth here in the mushroom industry. So it's been a real interesting business to watch develop. It's, it's up and down, and right now it's up. And hopefully it's going to stay on that trajectory. I think that we've reached a critical mass with people in the United States who now know about mushrooms and mushroom cultivation and their culinary uses. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to a bright future in the world of mushrooming. So uh, knock on wood, uh, we'll see what happens. That's exciting. Yeah, awesome. So uh, today in 2020, what advice uh, would you give to a person who is listening to this show and thinks to themselves, wow, that'd be cool. I would be interested in learning about or kind of kicking tires on this idea <laughs> of, of growing mushrooms for a living. Let's just say they have some woods or access. Like, you know, what what can you tell me uh, or that listener, um, you know, about what you see in the market and sort of like where that, you know, where that niche might be? Okay, well, you know, our advice has always been to really start small. You know, 300 logs, that's a good start. That's a lot of work for someone who's just beginning to grow mushrooms. Uh, so, you know, if you may decide that you're going to, you know, here's a story that it happens all the time. You talk to people 
they're going to grow 10,000. They're going to inaugurate 10,000 lawns, right? And then you sell them spawn. And then, you know, a week later, they, they call you and say, hey, uh, you know, this is a lot more work than what I realized. You know, I'm going to grow log uh, mushrooms on 15 logs, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> we always say start small because you may not like this kind of work, right? You may not like lifting. You may not like drilling holes into wood and putting spawn into them. You may not like the monotony of it. But I think if you can get past that and you decide that you do like this kind of work, you still start small because you're going to have to figure out where you're going to sell these, right? It is a perishable product. The nice thing about it is that you have time, right? You, you know, you, you inoculate logs in the spring of 2021. Well, you might get some mushrooms in that fall, but it really won't start cranking until the summer 2022. And by then, you know, you'll have to have some sort of marketing plan together. So my advice is find out where, what's happening locally. Don't try to go through a middleman. You know, you're, you're never going to get the, the money for your labor if you can't sell direct. So sell direct. Find out uh, where the local farm market is. I can't tell you how this year has really changed. Uh, well, farm markets, you probably are aware of that. It's, oh, yeah. And CSAs are just unbelievably uh, booming. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I thought the farm market thing was out. It's going uh, by and by the wayside here, you know, two, two three years ago. But well, I, th- I, th- I thought it was going by the wayside in February of this year, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but for us, I think there was that moment, and I observed it when – um, you know, in, in our region, particularly, uh, just, you know, in the greater DC, uh, Baltimore Metro that when, um, you know, when COVID hit and there was that initial scare when everybody, you know, said, okay, wow, this is real. It was right around St. Patrick's day weekend. And, um, you know, everyone just went and cleaned the grocery stores out and you would go to your local Wegmans or Whole Foods or whatever grocery store you have. And you'd walk in and you would go to the dairy or the meat aisle. And it was just like a, a long, empty, bare, you know, pitiful <laughs> shelf. And I think it was in that moment that CSAs just started going through the roof because you look at it and the only things left are stuff that you're like not comfortable feeding your family. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> and that in my mind was the strongest sales pitch that, you know, the local CSA had ever had. <laughs> yeah, you got a point there. Uh, well, yeah, it, things really did take off. Well, we have a, a really good customer in the D.C. area that, that's been growing on logs for quite a while. Actually, his, he goes back further than me. You can believe that. He was one of the guys who did the original research on shiitake log cultivation. Way back. And he's in the D.C. area? Yeah, he's in Maryland. Who is that? Uh, Goose Creek Farm. Look him up. Goose Creek that Farm. Man, wonderful gentleman. You talk about a found knowledge. That guy's it right there. So anyways, uh, he... He, of course, was concerned about all this in the pandemic and how they, they were going to have to go online and take all these orders. And he said he had to drop out because he could not keep up with the mushrooms. And that's a story I've heard repeated, I don't know how often, throughout this whole growing season. So it's been a really good awakening again for the American people to realize that, hey, there's good local food out there that can be obtained at a fairly good price that you know you, you get to know the grower get to know the growing techniques and it's a lever, level of comfort and safety that i think people really need now more than anything so yeah 
you know, farm markets, uh, wow, they really saw quite the resurrection this year. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Well, that's uh, that's pretty solid advice. Um, what would, uh, so can you uh, share a little bit about, um, you know, some people who have given you good advice along the way, you know, or, or do you have any, you know, mentors in, in business or farming or mushrooms specifically uh, that, that you can kind of look back and, and, and just say, you know, this person or that person like really helped, uh, you know, my wife and I on our way with, with field and forest. Oh boy. I tell you what, you know, being first in, uh, was uh, a tough road to hoe because you know let's let's be realistic we really didn't know what the heck was going on uh this is a new industry that was started you know so uh we did have people that 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 we looked to for help uh dr latham latham at forest products lab uh, we were able to work with uh dr nair at uwgb and some of the cultivation stuff um one of the <laughs> one of the one of the mentors that we looked to just for inspiration was uh, a mycologist at the Forest Products Lab, now retired, Dr. Hal Birdsall. Uh, we would uh, meet up with him at various forays, and we would always talk cultivation. And he always had a lot of good insights as to what we were doing and how we can improve upon things. Uh, you know, our parents were always, always inspiration. You know, my, my, uh, my dad was a small businessman, and... Uh, you know, when we first started, he took a look at what we were doing and he said, well, how are you going to make money doing this? And that was always a really good question because we had one. <laughs> uh, and then my father-in-law, who was a corporate man from GM, patent attorney, very smart gentleman. And uh, he took a look at things and said, well, how are you going to support my daughter doing this? And then he took a look at our books and said, yeah, you guys are doing all right. So in a way, you get some of that, that negative feedback, which serves as inspiration. You know, you want to keep going forward to say, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do it right. Uh, you know, I also find really inspiring a lot of our customers right now. Uh, and a lot of them, some of them have been with us for 30-some years. We've got to know them, their kids and whatnot. And we look forward uh, to to keeping up those relationships and developing new ones with some of our younger clientele, because man, I tell you what, youth today is inspiring. Uh, they have goals, they have dreams, and they have innovation, and they they see outside the, the box much more than we do. You know, we're we're kind of in our corner here, but boy, there's a whole wide world out there of young people that serve as inspiration because they're doing things differently. And that kind of feedback, we really like to hear. We'd like to hear from our, our, our young people. And we like to stay in touch with our steadfast old customers because, hey, that's inspiration itself. When you've been growing mushrooms for 30-some years on logs, that speaks a lot. That speaks volume. So that's where, you know, we pull our inspiration, too, from our employees, uh, from our dog. <laughs> keeps us going every day and uh but in the world of in the world of mushrooms you know there's always been leaders paul stamets was very inspirational you know he was the guy that was up and running first and we learned a lot from him um so you know i think what you have to do is find your mentor and learn what you can from them uh because that will be a great help along this whole journey and this is a journey it's one that takes you really years and years to develop 
technique, marketing, you name it. So I think that's it. I yeah, that's awesome. They're cats, but I, I won't do that. <laughs> so um, I, I am curious, Joe, with, so Field and Forest today, um, what, what, portion of your business is focused on, um, you know, selling a spawn of sorts to uh, 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 neophyte and aspiring growers like myself uh, versus uh, selling mushrooms that you've grown off your 3000 logs, uh, you know, to local restaurants or farmers markets, et cetera. How, how, how does your business break down today? And, and how has that evolved over the last uh, couple of decades? Well, First and foremost, uh, one thing that we've always tried to keep in, for, in focus is that we are a small company. That's what we do. Uh, however, as part of being in that industry, we've always felt that we had to test and develop product. We had to use our own product to make sure it worked. Uh, so we have uh, gotten into log-based cultivation really as a demonstration more than anything else. Uh, you know, three to 4,000 logs, you need a lot of logs for testing for strain development and for monitor that your strains are doing what you say they will. So what it boils down to is that in fresh mushroom sales, I just did the figures come out to less than 1% of our gross revenue. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we don't produce many mushrooms. Like I said, you know, we're typically doing R and D work. We're spinning, you know, the, the stuff that we do, we do sell to a wholesaler. Uh, you know, it's 60 to hundred pounds a week. It really isn't all that much. Uh, but it's, it's a way to test product. It's a way to get rid of it. And he then takes it and sells it at outrageous prices, to whole foods and, uh, other co-ops in the, uh, Madison area. Uh, for the most part, um, we're seeing a real surge now in new growers and it's, typically hobbyists, because I think the pandemic has made people realize that, you know, this may be the time to do something that I've always wanted to do and never had time to do it. And hey, life is short too, right? You got to hop on things. So we're seeing a real influx now of uh, people who want to grow, you know, mushrooms in their backyard, maybe inoculating five, maybe 10 logs. We're happy to service those customers. And then we do have, of course, our mainstay customers that are over there every week buying spawn and then every spring and fall for uh, their larger log-based farms. Uh, Percentage-wise, I haven't looked at those numbers recently, but I'm with, going with my gut feeling. I would say that probably 30% of our business is with hobbyists right now. And then the other, the other percentage is with small to large growers. And by neophytes, small growers, I mean people that are doing logs in their backyard, hobbyists, versus people that are committed to using this as another form of income. Some people use it for side income, some people use it as their main income. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I got to imagine that th those hobbyists are also being inspired by, you know, this sort of home, homesteading ethos to to raise their own food and I and I am certain uh that that uh, surge is a side uh, uh, 
product. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of, of the, uh, of the pandemic, um, you know, because you have people that are at home, uh, that had all sorts of business trips planned perhaps, and they're all canceled. So I'm at home. I have more time than anticipated. Um, you know, you look at an uncertain, you know, uh, food, uh, system and future. And so the idea of raising food of all sorts, uh, for yourselves at home and, and mushrooms are really cool too, because they're, you know, they can be seen, uh, as you alluded to earlier as, uh, you know, as a protein replacement. So, you know, it's this idea that, you know, this is something that's good for the environment. It's good for me. And, and, and I can raise my own protein and, and, you know, the little woodlot behind my house. <laughs> well, Drew, you know, the last thing I ever thought it was, would, would be that I'd be living through a pandemic. Okay. That was not on my radar for my lifetime, but you know, it's been a really great learning experience to see what's has happened. Uh, with our sector, uh, and I'm going to call gardening our sector right now because we're most familiar with that, and we're really tied into it now. Uh, you know, did you try to buy garden seeds this past spring? <laughs> I, 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 I I didn't personally, but I okay. know that it wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't buy seeds. It was the most phenomenal thing, and to buy canning lids. Oh boy, was that a joke to try to buy canning lids if you wanted to put up your crop this fall. So the, the thing is, is that mushrooms did fall into that quite well. And uh, it's, it's the, the pandemic has brought a lot of things home to us. And one of those things, it's, you know, it's really, we should be really near and dear to those we love. And also to uh, the area we live in, you know, we, we have this resource. It might be your backyard where you can grow your own food. It could be your own woodlot. Or you have a friend that has a woodlot where you can get some wood to grow your own mushrooms. And that's all a great thing. And I, th I think that people have really become aware of that. Thank goodness. We need it. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, switching gears a little bit here. Uh, what do you do for fun in uh, Wisconsin? <laughs> well, uh, uh, Mary Ellen and I both like to spend as much time as we can outdoors. So uh, during the summer months, that usually means mountain biking. Uh, during the winter, that's Nordic skiing. And uh, we like to fish, we like to trout fish, we like to bass fish, we like to canoe, we like to kayak. That's what we do for fun. Um, you know, uh, we also have this uh, perverse fun that we call making wood. Do you guys make wood in Maryland? Well, you'll have to, you'll have to define that for me. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could take out a lot of different meanings. <laughs> uh, well, up here, uh, making wood is... Uh, cutting down trees and making firewood. So people say, well, we're gonna go out and make wood. So that means there's a chainsaw involved, some logs somewhere that are cut into smaller pieces and split. So we like to do that too. Uh, we do heat with wood at home. So yeah, in a way, uh, it's another different kind of activity that we do kind of for fun. You know, there, there's a lot of ways to learn by sitting with someone at a wood pile and making wood. Yeah, for sure. Good for you. Good for, uh, you know, I, I guess, it, it, you know, it's an environmentally conscious way to fuel your home. That's for sure. And uh, save some money, have some fun, get some exercise. I, I can see the allure. Oh, you bet. <laughs> so um, how can our listeners um, connect with you, connect with Field and Forest Products, learn more about uh, growing mushrooms at home? Well, there we have various channels. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, which we're starting to populate more and more now uh, with uh, videos on 
everything from wood selection to inoculation. I think our next video that's going to be done is uh, on log inoculation. We have we're going to revise it from a few years ago. Uh, you know, uh, we have a 800 number, and one of the best ways that we like to connect with people is actually by talking to them. So if you ever have questions or concerns or you know don't know where to or how to get started, you can always give us a call. Um, our staff uh, is very knowledgeable, very helpful, and that's part of their uh, duties and responsibilities as customer service here. So those are the two main ways. Uh, I know that uh, well, we do uh, some stuff on Twitter. I don't personally. <laughs> I take that back. It's not even Twitter. See, see, I'm so old. I get my uh, social platforms wrong. Uh, Instagram. Oh, yes, Instagram. And that's what we do stuff on. Uh, yeah, and then a little bit on Facebook. Uh, I think we do have uh, a mushroom group on Facebook, which is uh, well attended. And uh, there's a lot of good conversation that goes on there. So those are the main ways. Uh, you know, at one time we used to travel a lot, and that was really the best way to get to know people. We'd do trade shows and whatnot, but, uh, you know, times have changed, and uh, we uh, we don't travel. And trade shows are, I think, going to become a thing of the past from what it looks like. Yeah, and internet kind of brings everybody close together, so you yeah. can find your little niche and uh, talk right to the people. Mm-hmm. Cool. Joe, it's been a pleasure. I've uh, really enjoyed uh, getting to know you and, uh, and, and, and talking with you on the podcast, hearing your stories and, uh, and, and learning a bit about uh, mushroom cultivation and sort of your story and, and, and ethos. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, learning a lot more on, on our little adventure of growing uh, mushrooms on our 300 logs and uh, you know, being able to compare field notes in the future with you. <laughs> well, we're always welcome. Uh for, for conversations. So Drew, it's been a pleasure. I wish the best of luck to you uh, in the remainder of this year and better uh, better yet with next year's growing season. So absolutely, for sure. So uh, everybody that's listened to this uh, podcast, thank you so much. Uh, if you enjoyed it, feel free to uh, subscribe on uh, Spotify or iTunes or however you like to listen to your podcasts. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Joe, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care.